0: Andy, great to have you back. Now, you just mentioned that the last podcast you did, you did from a pub, so I'm very sorry that we haven't got alcohol on tap here, but we are at least doing this face-to-face. Great to see you.
1: We are. Well, thank you. Good to have you. I'm a bit disappointed on the lack of alcohol, but uh, there you go.
0: Well, we are at least in Silicon Roundabout, which is Old Street, just north of the city of London, for those who don't know. So we might not be able to uh, be in Silicon Valley in drinking probably nice wine out there, actually, but at least we are in the heart of the technology land. So a little bit about Consirous. So, you were founded back in 2012. Your co founder and CEO, known to most people for providing your platform for Marine, and probably even go so far as to say you've revolutionized in some areas the way underwriters have been using analytics to monitor their exposures to Marine and Hull. Uh, but you've expanded since then. I would call you one of my survivor cohorts and that you've been around now for over 10 years and like many businesses evolved but been successful at bringing in revenue and clients so congratulations and and welcome back this is your third podcast I noted so uh, glad you've had a chance to come back and talk to us again
1: Well, it's always a bit of a mystery. What makes these things popular? I tried to do really intelligent, thoughtful LinkedIn posts. And then a couple of weeks ago, I did a random one about an umbrella which had broken. And that got 10 times more views than my usual ones do. So it would appear that broken umbrellas are more popular than my usual thoughts.
0: Well, I know you're competitive, so you've got to beat your own record. For your own personal best for podcasts is 1,351 downloads. Uh, That was for podcast number 160. (laughs) Good morning, good evening, wherever you are and whatever you're up to. And thanks if you're one of the people that's been letting Robin or I know that you are listening to our discussions. Now, these are fun to do, but they're even better when we know you are out there. Matthew Grant here, CEO at Instech, And this week, I'm talking to Andy Yeoman from Consurus. Now, I was introduced to Andy by Henry Withingshaw, COO of New Line Underwriting, who six years ago met Andy on a train. And I first met Henry on a beach, so just goes to show You never know where your next client's going to come from. Now, Consirus has been a member of Instec ever since. This is Andy's fourth appearance on the podcast, but still plenty to learn.
1: So, we're on our third iteration as a company. When we were formed, we had nothing to do with insurance, we were an, an IoT company. Back in 2017, we very much made that flip and switch into. Looking at marine and marine analytics, which is, I think, where we've made a name in the insurance market. That was our first foray into insurance. And now we are, we're just in the move from, from marine to more of a specialty focus, so you know, going across lines, but adding more of an AI focus.
0: What is it about the areas you're looking at that you see there's an opportunity to make a difference? Because clearly, even the best technology in the world can be quite slow to adopt unless there's something driving that adoption by your clients.
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. So, I think in order to look forward, take a little bit of a look backwards. So, when we came into the market in about 2017, we came with some very innovative data. We'd created behaviors from all this data that we got around the marine market. We came with a pricing actuaries that could understand how to put together a complex sort of machine learning model. And we came with some innovative web based applications on how to exploit that data. If you fast forward to today, Probably all three of those things are probably pretty much commoditized. You can buy the underlying data that we got and that we had to generate. You can buy that from people these days. Most companies have got their own team of data scientists and the application frameworks are are, are widely available. So where we're going now is really along two axes. We want to make sure that people are putting their money behind the right risks at the right price. So we're still doing a lot of the pricing, but also making sure that that's as operationally efficient as we possibly can make it. So the minimum amount of human interaction. And in each of those decision points, we're trying to bring as much technology to bear. We're really with one simple mission is I would like for our customers, every one of their underwriters to be as good as their very best underwriter. I would like everyone of their claimed agents to be as good as their very best claimed agent. And in order to do that, we need to harvest that experience and knowledge that exists in those organizations, which might be in the people. It might be in the data or it might be in, in, in unstructured data, in PDFs. So we need to bring all of that together and actually drive it behind every single decision as it's made. So they can, in that moment, they can make the very, very best decision that their organization can make. And importantly, it's consistent. If you ask five people the same answer, the same question, you'll get, same answer five times which historically has not been the case if you ask somebody to insure property out of your london branch or out of your new york branch you might get the same property you might get a different price if you go through your marine book you might again for ostensibly the same risk you'd end up with a different price so we are trying to sort of harmonize that within our customer organizations
0: now i really like that way you frame it which is bring everybody up the level of the best underwriter historically that would have been through training there's always as you said there's uncertainty in there people do things differently We haven't yet got to the point of being able to clone that underwriter and we will not in our lifetime and probably never will for lots of
1: reasons. Take one example, which is just uh, handling inbound submissions. There are essentially two ways that you can handle submissions. One is you could say to your underwriter, give me the rules. That, well, by which you're going to write business. You're only going to write business if these people are involved. I'm, I'm not going to write business if it's anything to do with like, Russia, Ukraine. I don't want to write more than a 10% line, et cetera. The challenge with that is that people often don't know their own rules. So what we do is we observe their behavior. So what we'll say is just just use the software. And what we'll do is we'll tell you what sort of business you write? And what are the, the common characteristics? And then because we can learn that, if we see another piece of business that looks similar, we say, hey, listen, do you like piece of business A? What about this one that's coming? This has a lot of parallel. So one of our customers, they use uh, technology for prospecting. So you can use the system and you can say, okay, I've written this piece of business. So can you find me other fleets, for example, in marine that behave like this? that have similar characteristics to this. So it's much more than a than a simple search. It's a case of being able to apply all the machine learning model behind it to say, go find me more business. The challenge I will see in the market is if you had a good year, people close out 2022 as a good year. They go upstairs to the big meeting, and they say, great, now I'd like you to grow your book by 10%. Well, that's fantastic. But where's that 10% going to come from? So again, this is where the technology could help by monitoring Let's just say all the submissions, and my monitoring all the risks. What we can now start to do is use the technology to build a portfolio. Much like you asked ChatGPT, what are the best questions? We can ask, well, what are the best risks to write? If I want to achieve this loss ratio with this amount of capital in the market, with this, these are my constraints, my line size, etc. Yeah, based on everything that we've we've seen as a company, what should my portfolio look like, and how how should I go about writing that business? I say so. We are looking at the observed behavior of. the risks, but also the risk writers.
0: It reminds me of the film and the book Moneyball by Michael Lewis when they looked at the characteristics of really successful baseball players and it was driven by data and performance and actually wasn't what people had intuitively come up with and actually they found that if you look at the results, you can successfully bring in different baseball players and at some point everyone's using the same tools so you lose that advantage but is that a fair comparison I think
1: it's a fair comparison probably I remember reading a book by a gentleman called Malcolm Gladwell called Blink which talks about you know, having confidence whether you play the piano or underwrite or whichever it's sometimes you you just don't know why you know something you just know it and again so asking people if you were to ask an underwriter I would like you to explain to me the rules for really good underwriting I think that's incredibly difficult to do we're in the early days of the market, which is fortunate. You know, we see some real pioneers like Key Insurance, I think, are doing a fantastic job. You know, they're pioneering the market. There are certain factions of the market that definitely want them to succeed and certain that definitely want them to fail. But it's a version one solution. By the time we get to version three or version four, it's going to be outperforming the market.
0: What are the most pressing insurance industry challenges? And you know, by implication, why did you choose to go and look at?
1: When we look at new markets, one of the things we're trying to look at is, does this market have essentially the same problem that we've solved elsewhere. And so if you look at aviation as an example, where we definitely have customers who are expressing an interest in pulling together a solution there, aviation and marine with a bit of an opposite sort of feeling about the use of water, there's a lot in common there, just in the nomenclature, you know, they, they both deal with ports, you know, passengers that have cargo, et cetera. There's a lot of similarity to the way that those assets move around the world and are indeed insured. So that's an easy and obvious one. When we've looked at things like workers comp and DNO and construction, et cetera, this is where we've been asked to go by a customer. we have a particular customer that ha- happens to have years of data on on DNO and workers comp, can we look at that? And can we come up with some useful insights that we can embody in this uh, intelligent tool set? So we're very much driven by sort of a, a working hypothesis that says actually moving assets that have behavior they're incredibly important to us. We've lots of expertise in those. And then clearly where our customers take us also plays a part in our decision making.
0: And just for those that don't speak insurance, DNO is directors and officers. So that's a, a liability coverage for where an organization or actually specifically the individuals in the organization have done something that ends up litigation. And then workers' comp is the US coverage, workers' compensation for when, for example, somebody might be injured Employee liability, that sort of thing. What is the problem that you're looking to help underwriters solve when it comes to insuring aircraft?
1: A lot of it is premium adequacy. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the challenge is visibility of the insured assets. So if you look at the situation that happened in Russia Ukraine, clearly there was confiscation of all of those aircraft there. Uh, there was no real visibility or monitoring of where those aircraft accumulations and aggregations were building up. That's clearly now something that the world wants to see going forward. So uh, that same technology problem that we solved in marine is evident in, in aviation.
0: And how does that work? Because I know for marine, there are transponders, sensors in ships above a certain size. So you can relatively easily find out where any ship is at any time. How does that work for aviation? Is there a similar kind of information?
1: Very similar sort of data transponder sort of network. So again, that raw data is readily available.
0: And so what's the balance between, for Consiris, be the what you've done and, and what you're doing, between identifying data sources other people have got and then you're adding some value? Because uh, yeah, we hear a lot about big data, and but the reality isn't that so you can do something with it. It's useless. So how do you think about the, the data that you want to go and identify from third-party sources versus the data that you need to go and create or create with another party that may not exist already?
1: Well, so we create behaviours. So if you look at the, the underlying data that we got from, let's just say, marine, that data was available for five years before we turned up in the market. You know, people weren't extracting the behaviour. You, know, you could find out where a vessel was You know, since 2011, since the AIS system data was made widely available. What we turned that into was behaviours. So extracting speed, distance travelled, et cetera, and then turning those into rating factors. So that same concept and, uh, of behavior is actually applicable to almost any line of risk. If you look at the d I can look at the behavior of an organization by laying out corporate announcements over a timeline, you know, if I analyze loss history and claim history because there's, there's databases of that available that, that we can acquire, where you can start to see if you compare claims with corporate behavior, you can start to see where those correlations lie. That's the work that we're doing. So behavior for me is the real key to this because we've been a market that just that looks at a snapshot in time of what risk looks like. Yeah, so if I go back to my marine example, if someone comes to insure this fleet of vessels today, I will rate it on how it's behaving today. I don't necessarily look at how that behaviour has changed over time, and I certainly don't look about how it's going to go in the future. So, one of the modules we just released was something called News Centre. So, we monitor the internet for news releases about organisations, about fleets, about vessels, etc. And then what we can then do is we can start to see if someone in, say, today is put on the timeline. So, T zero is today. But when someone T minus six made an announcement that said they're going to install scrubbers on their vessels. From an emissions perspective, what we see in T0 is we see actually the number of claim machinery claims comes down. So if you're looking at a fleet that's just coming into the market and they've announced that they're going to install these scrubbers, you can reasonably assume that in six months time that the attritional claims uh, that comes out is going to be lower than it is.
0: Andy, I've got to jump in there. I'm not even trying to guess what a scrubber is.
1: A scrubber is is a technology that gets installed in the emissions system of the vessel to try and scrub all the carbon dioxide and, and all the noxious gases out of the exhaust fumes effectively. So the emissions of the vessel are a lot lesser.
0: It's okay, so it goes into port, it gets a scrubber installed and then you start to see some different claims behavior after that.
1: As an example, or or freight rates. So the how much can you rent this particular vessel for on a given day? When freight rates are high, so you can rent this vessel out for $100,000 a day, you tend to see that the machinery doesn't fail very often because they want the owners want to sweat that asset. When freight rates are low, say $5,000 a day for the same vessel, and it's in port, suddenly the machinery breaks, uh, and you start to see these machinery claims. So again, that's a proven correlation within the market, and a known correlation. So if I could predict freight rates, uh, then actually I can start to predict claims. And that's the really nice thing about I mean, what we do. One of the big changes that we've had, we've gone from retrospective modeling, so trying to predict risk on what's happened in the past to now prospective modeling, which is let's form a scenario about what the future's going to look like and see what the past can tell us about predicting that future scenario. A simple example in, in, just in, in layperson's terms But Google Maps will tell you, if I leave London at four o'clock and travel down the M4, by the time I get an hour out, so I get to Swindon or wherever, at five o'clock, there'll be traffic. There's traffic there every day. So even though today, when you leave, there's no traffic there. By the time you get there, there will be traffic there. So there we're using past information to predict future outcomes and actually changing the way that we try to estimate our arrival time. So we're doing exactly that, but we're doing it with a whole litany of different
0: data, both internally and externally sourced. So the temptation if you're building risk models is to go back to the underwriter and go, well, hey, guess what? I'm now going to tell you all the things that can go wrong with your client or the policy underwriting you hadn't thought about. So isn't that helpful? (laughs) Pay me money. And of course, it's not very helpful because underwriters want to write. So I can understand the prediction side helping them with challenges, but are you also able to have some good news and say, well, actually, this—you might have thought this was going to be the price or the historical experience but in actual fact things have changed and therefore here's an advantage to write a new line of business or write more of it because of your prediction capability
1: that's exactly it so what we're trying to do when i remember earlier i talked about you know putting the right risk putting your capital behind the right risks and the second one doing operational efficiency if i can free up one two three hours a day in an underwriter's day just by automating some of the activities i can effectively give them their time and the question i, I would be asking of them is what's your hypothesis of how the future market's going to be do you believe that there's going to be a situation in China around Taiwan? What's your view of how the Russia Ukraine situation will, will come up? So, you have a view on the future and you can model that view into your underwriting strategy, yeah. which means, that, listen, even if everybody had the exact same risk model, everybody can have a very different view of how the future was going to be. Yeah. So going to your example about baseball, yeah, so one team's going to win. One team's going to lose, yeah, and you'll have different theories as to why that situation is the case. So what's what we want to give to our customers? We want to give them the ability to put their quality thinking behind the future scenario, and we'll manage the historical analysis that allowed to support that, and do that as automated as we can.
0: I'd be interested in a little bit about how you think about ChatGPT. Most of us experience it today in the sense of you can go in there and put a query and it, it'll give you an answer back. But there's a much more sophisticated use, which is you pointed at the data. And I think this is going to be really interesting in how the role of and the challenge of employing data scientists evolved over time. Because if you can point ChatGPT at your data and say, this is the information I've got, and you're kind of a whole level ahead of just a g- general query engine, is that how you're thinking about it? You're actually going to populate or line up ChatGPT with some of the analytics and data that you've got?
1: We absolutely are lining up our data with the likes of ChatGPT, but I think the important thing is to differentiate between ChatGPT, which is an implementation of technology, rather than the technology itself. Yeah, so ChatGPT is fantastic. You know, It's fun. We've all got it to write articles for us. We've got it to lay out plans, but it's open source. Yeah, so I'm not going to be uploading any of my company confidential information because I literally have no idea what would happen to us. I think there's some, there's some very valid security and data privacy concerns around using the, the public version. The underlying technology, which is yeah, the language models, which have been trained and understanding, I think they are fantastic. And you know, we're at the beginning of something here. So for me, that's the ability to do things like, for example, in our, in our customer base is what happens if the situation, if China were to in, invade Taiwan, what's been my exposure there for the last 12 months? Well, rather than having to write that as a query, wouldn't it be great to have a conversational interface to the system that says, can you tell me what would have been my average exposures over the last 12 months within a 50 mile radius of Taiwan? So if you can take that language interface, then turn the results of that query into natural language again. That for me is really useful. The ability to forward an email off with a spreadsheet attachment that said, can you upload this into the platform and create a, a special war risk a policy group for me and, tell, and monitor what my aggregate exposure is, not, notify if it gets more than a million dollars. We mentioned earlier about the you know, Silicon Roundabout, as you know, I used to live in Silicon Valley and I lived there in the late 90s to the early 2000s. And that was the rise of the internet. And so what I saw there was there were three organizational responses to the internet. People had either ignored it, that's never going to have an impact on my business. You know, I sell books. How are you going to sell books on the internet? People would adopt it. The adoption would be, well, actually, rather than someone me sending them an annual report as a physical copy, now they can come to my website, they can download the annual reports. And the third type of organizational response, which took until probably the early 2000s to come out, was the but-for response. So but-for this technology, my fundamental business model wouldn't work. And hindsight's clearly wonderful, but you can see the but-fors. So they are the companies like Amazon, but-for the internet. Their business model, fundamentally, their business model doesn't work. So if the internet were to go down, I know it's a a strange thing to say, if the internet ceased to exist, there is no fallback business model for them to operate. You can't fax your orders in. It just fundamentally wouldn't work. So when we look at... GPT, and it goes much back to the Gartner hype curve. We're in this stage where people have got the ignoring and they've got the adopting going on, but nobody's really come up with the, the but-for business models. But I think the but-for underwriting models are about to emerge. Yeah, And we see part of our job as a company is to help people explore.
0: But your but-for one is, is a great example. We sort of tend to take these things for granted, but it's also incredibly how quickly we just start to get familiar with things. I mean, you mentioned Key earlier on like- Yes, your Brit that basically invested and set up Key had a choice, and still has a choice to actually use a traditional underwriter to go and do that. But Key's actually reported its results this year and, and been successful. So you could argue you're but for technology, Key wouldn't exist, and Brit wouldn't have made money out of it. And open question would they have been as successful if they just used traditional underwriters? So I think we're already starting to see that. And I think the, the big distinction here is the specialty insurance business. If you go into the world of aggregators that we're so familiar with in the UK, where you know pricing for our Cars or often our homes is done automatically. That I mean, that's already automated. Is I mean, one of the things you've you've pointed out over the years is is the challenges, but therefore also the opportunities in the specialty insurance market. For-
1: yeah, and if I use your example of our own personal insurance being automated, it is automated, but it's still isolated. So my motor policy is isolated from my home policy, and my home policy is isolated from my travel policy. Whereas in actual fact, my life interacts all three of those. So I we spoke on just before this, I had recently had a weekend away. Well, if I look at my weekend away, my house insurance risk went up. My car insurance risk changed because I wasn't driving it, but it was part of the airport. And my travel insurance need again changed because I was away. But of course, now I've come back, my travel insurance need has, has lessened, yeah, my home insurance has gone down, my car insurance has gone up, whichever. Those three things interact, but today I buy them as three different policies, whereas actually what I want is I want varying limits and varying coverage and exposure on all three, and I need those three policies to interact. So I think that we're getting to a stage where the, the insurance product itself fundamentally needs to change. I think I mentioned to you, I think it's the F-35 fighter jet. It's a fundamentally different jet to anything that's come before it because every other plane, the fundamental engineering was, let's make this thing as stable as we possibly can. So if the technology fails, you can glide to the ground. It was fundamentally designed to be inherently unstable. The computer is the only thing that's keeping that thing in the air. So if the computer fails, that thing's going to crash. But the advantage of it is it's incredibly agile. Because it's unstable, it can turn much quicker, which is why it's proving to be know such a fantastic fighter aircraft. Again, so the relationship between aircraft and technology changes, and I think that same thing is just about to happen in short. So I think we're the very beginnings of this, where we're going to see technology like this starts to change the way that we interact in very small ways. I mean, I'm not preaching a revolution. But it's a revolution by increment.
0: Yeah, and I mean, to that analogy, you've got to get the data right. So if you build that fighter jet, yeah, the, I mean, it's rather like thinking about when are we actually going to trust driverless cars, you can build a driverless car that's 99% safe, or it's safe 99% of the time, or even 99.9% of the time you drive it. That's not good enough. I mean, people don't want to be having the risk of that 0.01% left. So I think there's a, it's an interesting analogy from insurance, because insurance is probably a bit more tolerant. And I think also you get back to your point about you don't necessarily replace the underwriter, you augment the underwriter. I think about it as the humble algorithm. So is your is your algorithm humble enough to say not only a, I don't know, but doesn't then try to make the answer up. You know, It's not like trying to have some 13-year-old do something for you and no, pretend they know nice. the answer.
1: So it comes back to, again, Google Maps is that, that I want to give you the option. Do you want to turn left or do you want to turn right? I'm not going to make you do it. The steering wheel is not going to be bent you know, nudged one way or the other. It's up to you which way you go. But actually I want to basically make sure once you made that turn, Once you've written that risk or you've thought about it, we are going to do our utmost to make this problem. So we are going to start flagging if its behavior has changed. We're going to monitor the internet for things. We're going to flag this to you so you can do the very best job that you can.
0: And so, Andy, we talked about what you're doing, what's possible. How does this look for somebody that's using Consiris today or in the very near future and actually wants to engage with the analytics?
1: I mentioned uh, we've released new center. We've released our prospecting, so our customers are taking advantage of that today. What we're going to start to see in so in the next couple of months is there called a BYOM, bring your own model. So people can come with their own risk model. Uh, we'll ingest that model, and then everything about our system will wrap around that model. Uh, so the, the software uh, had a had a relatively high barrier. You know, before is you had to have all your data organised, you be comfortable in sharing that data with us. We could build a risk model that took us about twelve weeks. And then you could eventually get to use the software. But all of those barriers have now gone away. If you've got a risk model, uh, you can load that into the platform today, get it integrated and be up and running. Our software today is, if you sign today, you can be live today. It takes a couple of hours to provision a customer and goes.
0: And so just thinking about how this works in practice for your solution, people don't want to, haven't got the patience to learn new technology, new systems. How do you make that as seamless as possible for someone who's already got their positive administration system or their underwriting workbench?
1: We just embedded a third-party piece of technology that allows us to offer integration into uh, probably most, if not all, of the big policy admin systems, so the insurances, the guide wires, etc. We can now out of the box, start to drag data, start to get permissions to get information from, to and from those back-end software systems. Uh, so I think that, bizarrely enough, things like GPT and those sorts of capabilities are going to much speed up the use of interfaces because you can get the system, to, you can get the software to program it effectively. So, so, out of the box, we offer good, solid integrations into these policy admin platforms, and we offer, let's say, immediate value for, upon signing, basically.
0: Now, Considerus recently announced a strategic partnership with Applied Underwriters. I asked Andy what was the reason for the partnership.
1: One of the benefits of working with a company such as Applied for ourselves is they have welcomed us into the very heart of their business. That said, let's assume that neither of us know better. And then let's create a team based approach to create. The most automated, most intelligent solution that, that we have, and that's requiring them to educate us about some of their markets and their underwriting and us to educate them on some of the capabilities of the technology. And that's what we've managed to do with Applied. is we've coming up with some really, really smart solutions on how things are because we'd never thought about underwriting in that level of detail. they'd never thought about technology. and so it was a really happy marriage and they have you know they've been a fantastic
0: customer to work with. And so Andy, over the years you've been working with insurance, what would you call out as, as a really good experience of working with a customer to collaborate with you and help you to develop the solutions you're providing to them and, and others?
1: The answer for me is just openness. So the ability to come into the room without an agenda, assume that we as a vendor know more about technology than than, than they do. We understand that they know a lot more about insurance and underwriting than we do. But actually being able to collaborate around the table and without sort of fear of losing your jobs or sounding stupid and asking daft questions, yeah? the ability to explore how all these things could work. And what we find is that most customers and most individuals we speak to aren't even aware that these capabilities exist, let alone have conceived how they could be used. But once they're aware of it, they say, well, I've got a team of five people doing that. You're telling me you can automate that entire team. Yep, that team could be redeployed to do something else. And I think that's one of the most satisfying areas.
0: And on that point, then, have you been successful in marine? Because marine is one of those areas. Certainly, if you looked at it when you were started going in there, sort of eight years ago. Or so, quite old fashioned, had operated, quite a small area. How did you convince the companies you're working with, and often the underwriters, are making this decision that you weren't a threat to their businesses and and could actually benefit from technology when they may not have even understood some of the most basic concepts that, or concepts that you and I are, you know assume that other people know and you're using all the time
1: i think that we did a simple thing which was we immersed ourselves in the market so we developed an opinion not about technology we developed an opinion about marine insurance uh, and i spent two years or more you know on the conference circuit you know espousing my belief listening you know, trying to understand it you know testing out opinions etc and i think that I often get asked, you know, what's your advice for someone coming into a market? I was like, go and understand the market. Go and meet the people. Have an opinion about your customer's business, not just about your business. This is easy to sell technology. You could just talk about your stuff all day, but it's more difficult to understand your customer's market. That's what we definitely did in Marine. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've helped customers and and, and companies and individuals uh, manage to get better results, which is immensely gratifying.
0: And so on that theme, I mean, we've seen over the last, I mean, I go back to 2015, 2016, a lot of funding come into the space and SureTech was coined. Lots of people got different views of what it means, but one version of it, new companies coming in with new innovation, new technology. As is always the case in early stage businesses, some of those businesses have failed. We've also got an external macro environment where people are less willing to invest also investors on a sort of growth basis, basis looking more at value. What, what do you see is going to be happening in the next few years in terms of the environment for early stage companies and, and advice to people out there that are in that early stage about how they can benefit from the opportunities with technology and, you know, insurance market that still needs help in many areas?
1: Well, so I think i go back to my prior comment. It's, yeah, you know, focus on your customers. Be obsessed by your customers. I think that's a that's a really good starting point. Beyond that, I think the next thing that we're going to see is is we've had three or five years of Endless point solutions. I think there's been some consolidation into platforms. It's almost like this aggregation disaggregation of platforms versus best of breed solutions goes on. I think we're due the the platform solution cycle again now. So I think I would encourage people to not only solve a problem but also solve what's the route to market, which might be partnering with you know, some of the larger players in the market.
0: And Andy, finally, we've been delighted with your support over the years for Instac. We know these days people making choices about where they spend their money, so very much appreciate your support. It'd be great just to hear why you've done that. Well, so what,
1: for me, it comes down to community. When we started the business, I was very fortunate. I got to meet a gentleman who ran one of the insurers, and he said to me, if you treat this market like a market, said you'll lose if you treat it like a community he said you'll win and so you need to invest in the community and the community will look after you and i sort of feel a bit of kinship there with what in In has done is that you've you've created a venue both virtual and physical for the community to come together and i think that's fantastic and it's effortless to see you do it yeah but i know the behind the scenes is a huge amount of work so you know i'm massively appreciative i'm sure everybody else is that you you actually took the time to step out and do this
0: no, thank you. And another part of it, that you are probably too modest to mention in there, but you're a great believer in supporting other people in the early stage of their journey as well. So part of I think what you allow us to do is get people on stage and you know, they're still out there, a bit harder to find funding, but they're still doing it and some fun stories. Uh, and then finally, and I should warn you before you answer this question or how you answer this question, bear in mind this goes out on Sunday and we have a lot of people listening on Sunday. For anybody that wants now to see what you're up to in practice, who and how should they get hold of Consirous? Uh,
1: sure. The easiest way is just drop me an email, andy at and I will get right back to them. That's the e- easy easy way to do it. So I'm glad to hear from anybody, even if they want to tell me I'm wrong.
0: Well, we'll put that in the episode notes. And of course, you're also on LinkedIn. But, Andy, as ever, I really enjoy talking to you. I, in particular, I always enjoy your analogies, and I, I quote you a lot. So I'm afraid I steal lots of your ideas and analogies and share them with the world. And i try where i can to give you credit for those
1: but maybe all i should do is ask ChatGPT gpt if i were to charge this much per quote
0: how much would <laughs> matthew owe me right now <laughs> well having made its mark in marine insurance we will be watching carefully to see what concerns does next now our weekly podcasts are only a small part of what we're doing in this if you're in London, we have our monthly evening events, dinners and breakfasts. So come and join us. And we're helping close to over 200 companies, insurers and technology vendors get to know each other and share their views with the world. We're publishing articles, newsletters and reports, all this and more on the website instech.co. And to find out how we can help you, please contact me, Matthew Grant via LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at instec.co. That's it. We're done.